One week at the end of church, a minister said to his congregation, next week I'm going to be preaching on the sin of lying. And so I want you to go home this week and I want you to read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 17. The next week rolls around and everybody comes into the church and he gets ready to to give his message and he says, show of hands, how many of you have read Mark 17? And all the hands shot up. And he said, well, the Gospel of Mark has 16 chapters. Now I'm going to preach on the sin of lying. <laughs> We've been working through our catechism. Well, a catechism, not necessarily ours, but a pretty orthodox, reformed, Christian, Presbyterian Catechism with all those qualifiers. And we've, we've learned a lot about who we are and about who God is, that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a triunity, a trinity of which all of them are equal and all of them in some ways have different roles to play, but they all participate in those roles. And we've, we've learned about how we are to live in terms of relationship with this God and And that is that we are to glorify God and enjoy God forever. That that is our, as the Westminster Catechism says, that is our chief end. That is what we are to be about. And so we've extrapolated from that in believing that God is a God of love and that God calls us to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that that is, as Jesus would say, the centerpiece of the law. Jesus went a little farther and said, you ought to love one another as I have loved you with this very you know, not attainable, self-sacrificial kind of love, perhaps, but that we live into that. And so as we continue to ask that question, well, how are we to live? Then, then especially for the Jewish people, we found that the law was given. The law especially exemplified in the Ten Commandments when Moses was given the law to the community after the community was formed. Here's how you are to live. This is not, this is not do this and you will live. This is, this is, I'm, I'm giving you new life. Here's how to live in community. And of course, we come to find, we come to find that we cannot keep that law. That according to our Orthodox Reformed theology, that sin enters the picture through the first Adam. And I say that because we talk about Jesus being the second Adam. But that sin enters the picture through the first Adam. And and of course, we have that origin story in what we call the fall with Adam and Eve and the serpent and God and a piece of fruit and all that stuff that we know. And that sin is so pervasive that that it just is one of those things in our theology that is Everybody has a hard time, and this is something that one of the theologians talked about, was that every other religion talks about sins, sins, things that we do. And we often think about it that way, right? That sins are something that we commit, yes. But sin is also simply a condition, according to our theology. It is part and parcel of who we are Even at our best, everything we do is tainted with the nature of sin. And that's probably one of the hardest things for us to wrap our head around. 
So if you're having issues with that, just keep digging. It's good. Just keep thinking about that because it's not an easy thing necessary to, to just swallow. Now, understanding that, I mean, if you ask any young person, if you sort of explained what sin was and that it basically means that, that people are messed up, like young people especially, I think, would go, yeah, look what you boneheads have done to the environment. Look at our politics. Look at our communities. Look at how we interact as races. Look at how nation states act to people that aren't like them. Like, they're like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense. We're a mess. So we come now then to what is sin? Well, I think that we're getting, we're coming to understand a little more about sin and that, you know, sin is just not a state of doing things, but in some ways it is a state of being. And again, that's just, I find that I continue to bump up against that in my own thinking about how difficult that is. And we talked about the three uses of the law because one of, one of the uses of the law is to, is to show us a mirror, to show us our sin, to, to basically show us that we're broken and that, that we, don't, we don't do things very well and that, and that even oftentimes when we try to do things well, we don't do it very well. And so then that is supposed to push us to this grace, to ask God for this grace, to seek God's grace and to, and to find it, and to find it where? In Jesus. Remember, the answer is Jesus. One theologian, and I'll say his name wrong, his last name is A-A-S-E-N-G, and I couldn't find a pronunciation for it, but Nathan Aseng. When we fail to love God and our neighbors, we are in a condition called sin. When we fail to love God and love our neighbor... And sin is basically living as if God is not the center of all things. It's sort of a basic way of understanding that. How theologians would talk about it, it would be like, if, if the earth and, you know, Jupiter and Mars just said, you know what, the sun is no longer the center of this universe, we're going to go off on our own way, the Milky Way would be a mess. Right? The planets revolve around the sun, and it generally keeps things pretty orderly in that way. They start going off on their own if we assign them anthropomorphic features, right? That They have a mind, they're going to go off on their own, that the universe, I mean, our, our, at least our Milky Way would be a mess. And that's how, that's how theologians think about sin, is that we're trying to go off on our own way, and we're not seeing God as the center of everything, and, and circling our lives around what God desires and what God wants. But even then, even then, that sort of goes to sins, right? That we start thinking, well, if I just live my life right, if I just live my life right, then I'll be in good with God. Well, God is not our God. The triunity is not a quid pro quo kind of God. It's not a you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of God. And that's something that we have a very, again, a very difficult time with because that's our world. I do this for you, you do this for me. We do it all the time. Contracts are based on this. Covenants in some ways are based on this. Sometimes whole marriages are just based on that, right? That negotiation. But then, but then, Jesus. 
Therefore, this is Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 18. It's not Mark chapter 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Yeah, he thinks he's funny sometimes, I know. Therefore, as just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, the first Adam, first human, therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So that, and I skipped a couple verses, just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification leading to eternal life through Jesus the Christ our Lord. I mean, we joke about this, but I mean, the answer every single time is Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection is the centerpiece of our faith and our understanding about what God desires for us. And God desires for us life and health in abundance. God desires for us righteousness and love and care in abundance. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? I love Paul here. Like, don't get this idea that you can just go around doing whatever you want because that'll mean more grace for everybody. By no means. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. There's that word again. Sin was imputed to us through Adam. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us through his death and his resurrection. How can we who have died to sin go on living it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There's the gift of grace. While we might come to despair, our failings and our shortcomings, our sins while we might despair thinking about this doctrine of original sin and our sinfulness tainting everything, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will most certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Death no longer has dominion. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
Get that again. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If it's not hitting you, if that doesn't open your heart up a little bit, if that doesn't allow you to set aside all the ways that you've beat yourself up or all the ways you've been wondering, like, well, what, what, what am I then? How does this work? Where, where is my faith? All of that. If that doesn't open you up a little bit, I encourage you to go back and just sit with those passages in Romans and just, and just let them sort of fall over you a little bit. We're all in dire need of confession and forgiveness. We've all, you know, done things and not done the things that we ought to do. And so we come with our hearts and our lives and our spirits open to God. And we are received. And we are set free to live, to love, to serve and to give. So yes, sin is serious business. But Jesus takes care of the business. May we be set free by his grace. Amen.